This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast, episode 361. I'm Micah. I'm Eric. And that's it. Normally we expect at least a third, possibly a fourth, but uh, this week it is just Eric and myself here for this episode. Andrew is actually in New York and doing, I'm not quite sure, I've seen him at least post on social media that he's around the Times Square area. I know he stopped by the Cursed Child shop, at least from the looks of things, and uh, I'm just going to say, I didn't get a text message. Yeah, yeah. I wonder I wonder what he bought us. I wonder what he got us from the Cursed Child uh-huh. shop. Well, maybe you, because he's in, in my city. I didn't even get a text message. <laughs> well, I don't know we what know, that says. Li- li- long-time listeners of the podcast or listeners to uh, the other podcast, Millennial, will know that Andrew has one thing in his life that he loves more than Harry Potter, and that is Bruce Springsteen, uh, none other than the boss. And I think that uh, Andrew is on a trip to see the the boss, or he did see the boss on Broadway just a couple nights ago, and he said it was a life-changing experience. Mm. Well, that's usually what people say about me, too. Yeah. <laughs> While Andrew recovers from that life-changing experience, we have an episode of, of MuggleCast to do, so that's super exciting. I know we're going to be getting into some uh, more trailer recap for more feedback that we got from our listeners who listened to our double episodes, the back-to-back parts one and two of... Uh, trailer discussion which was really fun to do last tuesday night um always good uh, when those uh trailers just show up out of nowhere and i think we're going to answer the question i know andrew had this question last week when i said the name yusuf kama who is he well we may have a little bit more information on who he is and who he's related to and well, look, this this is what you get when, when Andrew uh, is not on the show. I think you're doing a great job of, of hosting us so far, Micah. Mm-hmm. Well, before we get into that discussion, uh, I know you had an update on the 777 challenge, which we touched on uh, last week. Yeah, so we actually have uh, great news so far. Um, we've obviously hit, uh, we've surpassed the 777 patron mark over on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And uh, that was what we were going for. So the special things that we were going to unlock, such as the live show following our Seeing Cursed Child next month, the uh, holiday commentary episode of MuggleCast at, with, uh, starring Jude Law, of course, Dumbledore. Uh, is all unlocked, so we're definitely going to be doing those, I will say. Um, there is still some room to get a MuggleCast mug, which is this year's patron giveaway. If you're one of the next 25 to 30 people to sign up at the Dumbledore's Army or um, Slug Club uh, tiers, you will still be eligible to get a mug, even though we've hit the 777. We're going a little bit further, just in case you still want this mug, which, by the way... Designs are on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com. It's a really cool-looking mug. You can choose your house color, and it will say, uh, on one side, it's the logo. On the other side, it will say, no latte is safe. Whoever came up with that, great, very creative mind. We're just just patting ourselves on the back at this point. (laughs) It may or may not be one of the two of us. I'm just saying. 
Yeah, yeah, but um, really, it's it's a good opportunity um, if you've been thinking about it. Of course, you you hear us every episode, probably if you uh, listen to MuggleCast regularly, that we bring on patron guests uh, to host our, our our episodes, as well as a myriad of other opportunities, monthly giveaways, um, and not to mention the these these you know prizes like these and and yearly things. So definitely check us out at Patreon.com/MuggleCast if you're uh, or have been thinking about or pondering whether or not you want to join. No better time than now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we uh, can't say thank you enough to those who have been supportive of the show over the last couple of years. Uh, you're the reason why we're doing these weekly episodes, sometimes twice weekly uh, if a trailer shows up. <laughs> so uh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you to our all of our existing patrons. And uh, as soon as we uh, reach probably the end of this month or within the next month, we'll get some. Uh, we'll have the order form out, and people will be able to choose which mugs they want, and the rest will be history. So, but a limited time uh, offer. So, if you're listening to this episode, you know, three years in the future, we're sorry the mugs are gone. But otherwise, everybody else, you still have a chance. All right. So let's get to a little bit of news here, and the first story is a little sad uh and and that is that pottermore has sacked some of its editorial staff and i know that traditionally on this show we have been highly critical of pottermore at times and i think rightly so however uh it's never good news uh, when you hear that that people have been let go uh from their job so yeah I don't know necessarily where this is headed. It seems like uh, Pottermore has had a number of changes that have taken place over the course of the last week or so. And it'd be interesting to see what direction the site goes in, particularly given the news last week uh, that the Wizarding World uh, has kind of gone through a rebrand. And we know that this logo uh, for the Wizarding World is highly prominent on the Pottermore website. Wonder if that has anything to do with it. I wonder. Yeah, this is, so this news comes from uh, BuzzFeed of all places. Um, But BuzzFeed first reported yesterday that, uh, as Micah said, Pottermore sacked or let go uh, what apparently is the bulk of its editorial staff. We're talking about both senior and junior members of the editorial board at Pottermore. It would seem to indicate to me that they are going to be getting away from the uh, think pieces that I know I very recently uh, have mocked um, out loud as being, you know, really having no teeth. Um, Pottermore, you know, with these these editorials you would see would be, even when they would break news, it would be written in like the passive voice. Like some news came out that said, you know, and just like, what is going on? Apparently, this BuzzFeed article is is very interesting because somehow they've um, sourced, they have sort of two contexts. The first person said, uh, you know, told BuzzFeed that this shakeup had happened. BuzzFeed was able to get a statement from Pottermore saying that it was, uh, these changes were reflecting a, a business evolution or something to that effect. But they're actually, they have a quote uh, from a former Pottermore employee, I, I should say disgruntled former Pottermore employee, uh, who echoes some of our, our former sentiments on this show. 
That quote is, I think turning Pottermore into an editorial site a few years ago was a lovely idea with the potential to be great, but the execution has been disappointing. A former employee said that. Um, they continued, it is essentially a glorified merchandise shop with some cute articles that might appeal to hardcore fans, but don't have enough of point of difference from the rest of the internet's writing about Harry Potter to survive. So this person is, their, their opinion is literally that Pottermore is too close to fan sites in terms of what it can offer, um, you know, editorial wise. And I think that's, first of all, a major compliment to Harry Potter fan sites and, you know, are, are places like BuzzFeed and Mashable where big Harry Potter articles do tend to appear. But also it's it's a slap in the face when a former employee has this kind of opinion, you know, saying that execution of an idea, it like it just did not succeed. Mm-hmm. Right. And And I would agree that the first thing that I thought of when I saw the comment about it becoming this editorial site, the competition that existed for so many years among fan sites was yeah. uh, pretty impressive. And that goes you know, without saying, thinking of sites like MuggleNet, The Leaky Cauldron, Snitch Seeker, you could go on and on and HBNA, on. HPNA, Veritaserum, uh, HP Fanzone. Darklord.net, HP Fanzone, yeah. There's- Good shout out to Andy McRae and, and, and Zach. Our, our buddies, buddies over there in Australia, down under, yeah. So McCleary, it's uh, it, they they position themselves very, very difficult, um, or in a very difficult situation. I think. Well, they took us on. They took. They were basically taking on Harry Potter fan sites by deciding to. But play after the glory years, after the fact, and I think to do that, you have to have a very solid plan in place. You have to know exactly what you want to do because. You're you're coming to the game late. You're essentially showing up in overtime, and that's what they did here. <laughs> and I I think that they put themselves in a very very challenging situation to try to succeed that way. Because, and and you were alluding to this earlier, but you can't expect to be successful when you're editorializing things that you're supposed to be the number one source for. Right, you're supposed to be the authoritative voice. That's exactly. You're it. supposed yeah. to know because you are J.K. Rowling's site. In essence, you're supposed to know all the facts. You can't theorize about things. You can't hypothesize about things because you shouldn't try. You're the true you're st- and 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 yeah. you're, you're supposed to be the true and trusted source here. So you're the snorkack in the room <laughs> that every all of us have to bow down to in our in our bowl hats you know in our helmets i don't know why i said bowl hats i guess that's a thing um bowler hats yeah it it but here's the other thing which is which is just so interesting is because i find it fascinating that pottermore took this route to begin with we were all i think a little surprised based on what it was coming off of you know the very sony imbued era of flash animated really lovely go through the books experience every moment it's possible you know to go through as sort of like a reading companion to turn into a glorified website which toyed with our emotions over lavender brown um you know this it was so confusing for them to have gone that route but actually this BuzzFeed article has also added another layer uh, to things, which is 
that apparently this is where I was referring to the second source or all BuzzFeed says is a source. And the source, according to BuzzFeed, said that the editorial writers had recently struggled with writing freely about the Harry Potter universe, especially when actor Johnny Depp was cast as evil wizard Grindelwald for the Fantastic Beasts films, a decision that was controversial among Harry Potter fans. Here's a quote. Reporting from inside a franchise that so values its secrecy has been limiting because there's so much Pottermore can't say that other outlets can. Mm. Uh, Follow-up quote, I'd say as an important side note, they've also suffered from a very sad waning in confidence from fans since the decision to cast Johnny Depp. So here's here's that quote, I think, in, in the context that I take it, which is Pottermore, because it's official, because it's J.K. Rowling's site, can't comment is almost extremely limited in what they can say because the people the only people that can say are people like jk rowling and david Heyman and david yates who've released these statements in the past the ones that this source is referred to as being so unsatisfying pottermore can't step in or overstep what jk rowling has said by adding an article about johnny depp and the controversy they also aren't allowed to do what MuggleNet or hypable or anyone else can do and talk about how shitty it is or controversial that you know this situation has arisen so i get being like an editorial at pottermore and i fully expect to maybe see like an expose in 15 20 years or time when the ndas have all expired (laughs) to be like i was an editorialist during the johnny depp scandal at pottermore like i can't wait to see or maybe in 80 years, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 was wish fulfillment. But I, I, I really feel like, you know, it's got to be just the toughest of positions that these guys were in before Pottermore let them go. Mm-hmm. And they can't be objective. They they have to toe a certain line in the reporting that they do. And and that, for any reporter, is is a difficult situation to be in. Right. You can't share your own thoughts, your own opinions, your own feelings. And and the Johnny Depp casting was certainly a a hot button issue. It continues to be. So uh, it'll be interesting. The latest. Right. You know, that yeah. I mean, there was the Native America stuff that came to us from Pottermore. And it's like Pottermore wasn't allowed to comment on it because they did it, but everyone else was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh it will be interesting to see how this staffing changeup impacts Pottermore moving forward. What type of site will it become? Will it really change at all? I think certainly uh, time will tell. I did want to, before we move on, Mike, I wanted to read this statement from uh, Pottermore itself, which was as follows. As a result of a reorganization at Pottermore, there have been a small number of job losses. These reflect the evolution of the business and are being handled as sensitively as possible. Um, so I don't know necessarily what that means for the future. You're right. Like I, I would like to see it go back to the, the moments and the flashlight of like reliving the books. Like that's where the magic is, you know, having a site that's just so magical, you got to click on it or with a main page that has the right music that you just want to leave it up while you're, you know, on your computer all day. Something like that is what I would, like to see Pottermore go back to. What about you, Micah? I think it needs to continue to remain a version of, of what it is currently, and that is a news source. And it should just be 
the premier news source for all things Potter. And it shouldn't go the direction of trying to create editorials. That's not what uh, is needed. That's why you have fan sites. And I think even in today's day and age, sure, the news is not going to be as frequent and the stories are not going to necessarily be as big, but leave the theorizing, the opinions, the editorializing to us, to the fan sites, to the podcasts. That's what helped make this community what it is today. And I think that when you try to take an official spin on that, as they've seen, it just, it doesn't work. Uh, and there's plenty of other things that they can do. Uh, you touched on a few of them. Go back to the basics. Go back to really diving into the Potter series and finding new and different ways to bring it to life. I think that would be probably the best decision that they can make. And and even consider going back to being a resource, being that encyclopedia that had been talked about uh, for such a long period of time. That, to me, I think is something that fans would continue to enjoy. So, yeah, so um, sorry, uh, you know, condolences to the uh, editorial staff that was just let go. The BuzzFeed article also mentions chief executive Susan Drevix uh, stood down last year. Pottermore's creative director, Anna Rafferty, and the marketing director, Henriette Stewart, uh, both left for the BBC within the last year, and the social media manager of Pottermore, Amelia Florence. So huge, major, major people have left Pottermore very recently. And I think that as Harry Potter fans, it may not be yet time to raise our wands to mourn, but we should absolutely be sending as many cheering charms and and vials of Felix Felicis Pottermore's way. Hmm. So uh, a couple of other news items that we have here. Uh, the first related to the crimes of Grindelwald and the fact that similar to Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, the crimes of Grindelwald will have uh, its own screenplay in printed version. It'll uh -huh. be released on November 16th. So in conjunction with the film and you'll have the opportunity to read the screenplay in the theater as you're watching the movie. <laughs> Uh, it'll also be available on Pottermore, uh, which will carry the ebook version. And Little Brown announced that uh, they will be doing a version for UK fans. Scholastic, of course, will be doing the version here in the United in, States. In the so I, I actually found this book to be extremely helpful when we were going through uh, the movie uh, afterwards because there were certain things that. I just didn't catch when I was in theater. You know, you know there's certain things that you can't hear, or you can't make there's out, accents. and this this helps yeah. confirm those things and and help. You know, it's it's a good companion. Yeah, I I I like it. I I still feel as though the you know the version of the screenplay everyone got is not the any of the drafts. It's the final final version, which means absolutely zero detail that doesn't exist in the film is in these books. Zero, none whatsoever, not a zilch. Um, that bothers me. But otherwise, you know, as a screenplay, as a companion, I love what you said about like, you could bring it in maybe on your Kindle for a backlight and read the script as the film is happening. That will be something that I absolutely. Here's the thing though, spoiler alert, right? Because this book is going to be in stores probably before a lot of people end up going to the theater 
That's true. Unless you go the day of, you're gonna potentially be completely spoiled. Or you know those will... uh, those scripts are gonna leak online somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Not you know saying what it'll be that like I would the... do anything like that. No, or the you same would. kind of. But we know like people. This... It'll be like the Snape kills Dumbledore people who ran up to the people in line at the book signing. We're going to do that to movie theaters because like, I've read the book and this is this happens. Um, the real Grindelwald was inside of us all along. So I don't really know what to expect other, but it, it, it's it is a good. You're right. It's useful for us, Micah. It's useful as a tool. And it's, you know, kind of maybe they'll offer some film cells for the movies or some kind of um you know, like a screenshot thing in addition. Didn't the original screenplay have like um, one or two pages of screens from like the making of or something like that? Or am I just making that up? I'd have to check my copy. It's it's yeah, possible, yeah. but... Uh, but it's well designed. It's a hardcover book. You know, it, it looks good. Um, so for those still wishing to support Fantastic Beasts, the film franchise, and that's a big question mark. Um, and, you know, Crimes of Grindelwald in particular. Um it's going to be a good item to have. I'm still struggling with whether or not to see the film opening weekend. I know a couple episodes ago when we had uh, Danya Brahma from Hypeable on, uh, she raised some good uh, ideas about what to do with, you know, seeing the film if you're having these sorts of issues with the Johnny Depp controversy. Um, and so I think that it'll be a mixed bag. And I wonder if people will maybe resort to the script without seeing the film to show the movie studio who's boss. I, I'm kind of, this throws another element of possibility, I think, into those previous discussions we've had on earlier episodes. There is definitely the possibility that you will see certain fans uh, protest the premieres, the opening dates of The Crimes of Grindelwald, to your point, uh, just given the controversy around uh, Johnny Depp's continued involvement in the series, I know you, I still plan to see it uh, opening weekend, and I think um, you know, the one of the ideas that Danya had, had presented is you know, take that amount that you would be spending on a ticket, even if you do go and see the movie, uh, which I plan to do, uh, but make a donation uh, to a yeah. charity uh, that supports um, victims of domestic victims abuse. of domestic violence. Yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, that is one way to go about it, but obviously, however fans feel, um, you know, they're certainly entitled to those feelings and those opinions, and to do uh, what they think uh, is best. But now that they'll be able to read the script, it'll be like seeing the movie. So that's kind of good, you know, day of for people that are still feeling that they're missing out on this story. I wonder uh, when pre-orders are available for uh, the, yeah. for this book. You know what? I'm going to look on Amazon right now right. because I'd be very surprised if they weren't already. If it's Harry Potter. One other uh, piece of news here while you check on that uh, pre-order date is that uh, Harry Potter, Hogwarts mystery, the mystery has been revealed. <laughs> That's right. The mystery behind the mystery. The mystery behind the mystery. I, we, we've been talking about this. You, did you actually – you played this game at the celebration, didn't you? Yeah, so I got an opportunity when Andrew and I were down in Orlando back in January to do a little bit of a demo of this game, and uh, it was fun, and definitely plan to download it in the future and, and check it out. I know that we've talked about it a couple times on the show. Uh, some of the characters that you know you're familiar with probably are you know Bill Weasley 
and and Tonks, uh, they will be in the game in the same year or or just within that same sort of seven right. year class as you are. Uh, but the yeah. professors, for the most part, should be recognizable to everybody. But the big question is, what's the storyline? What is it that you're going to be doing in this game throughout seven years at Hogwarts? What is the mystery? And this week, according to you, Eric. Uh, well, this is the first time seeing it. And I certainly know that uh, we haven't mentioned it before in MuggleCast. So uh, the mystery behind Hogwarts Mystery uh, is that uh, you're looking for your sibling, particularly your brother. Um, so I, I believe that you can be uh, a boy or a girl character. Seven years looking for your brother? <laughs> you're, well, he's clearly in the kitchens. Otherwise, how did he survive? Um, the blurb here, on, on which I got from an article on MuggleNet, the reason that this came out now is there's actually a new video that they have. I checked, Micah. You're not in it. I'm very sorry. Um, but it does have people from the celebration playing the game and reacting to the game. But it was part of this article I saw on MuggleNet and the blurb here for the plot line. This is as much plot as I've ever seen about this game. Hogwarts mystery, which takes place in the years after Voldemort's first downfall, follows the player character through the whole seven years of a Hogwarts education which all seven years, it's crazy. Attending classes, casting spells, brewing potions, making friends and enemies, playing pranks, and solving mysteries. The, uh, though the game's creators have revealed that a central mystery... Oh, so the game's creators recently said that a central mystery ev- involves the disappearance of the main character's brother. Uh, but there will also be many more, both large and small, driving the plot. So perhaps your sibling isn't lost for all seven years. It's just maybe one of the ones, and then that's the one that we know about for the game. Check but the Chamber of Secrets. That's all i Check the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. <laughs> one of the Hogwarts mysteries in Hogwarts mystery is going to be your missing brother. And you've heard it here first. <laughs> so. All right. Well, yeah. uh, more to come on that game. I don't know that we've gotten the official release date yet for this game. Seems to be a bit of a mystery, but... Uh, Speaking of release dates, I did check. You can already pre-order with one click, I might add. Uh, uh, the Crimes of Grindelwald screenplay. By the way, Kindle version is twelve ninety nine, and ouch, the hardcover is twenty three fifty nine. That'll drop. That It'll drop on my toe and break my toe. How big is the book? I mean, you um, mean the price will drop. Well, we don't have a runtime for this movie yet, do we? <laughs> Six hours and eight <laughs> Seven hours, 27 minutes. I.e. 700 pages. Yeah, 700 pages of uh, page a minute. That makes about sense. So, All right. Uh, our main discussion this week, Eric, you mentioned this at the top of the show. We're going to do a little bit of a, a trailer roundup. There was a lot of uh, information that came out as a result of the Crimes of Grindelwald trailer uh, that was released last week. We did two full episodes on it, but that wasn't enough. Um, <laughs> we needed to dive deeper into the details. We needed to hear more from our listeners, from our patrons. And one of the areas that I really wanted to focus on, which I think a lot of people have spent time looking at, is that cryptic wall. And I'm not going to go ahead and presume like I did on previous episodes as to where that is. I think that can be part of our discussion. Mm. But let's start first by breaking down exactly what we know to be on that wall. And we did talk a little bit about this on on 
prior episodes, but I don't think we had all the names. And there are a lot of eagle eyes out there amongst our listeners and just amongst the fan community that were able to discern all these names. And I think it warrants a lot of discussion. So I wish I wish there were just a big I wish somebody would release like a, uh, you know, 3000 pixel version of this image. I'm I always feel like I need to put my glasses on when I don't actually own glasses just to kind of analyze this this one photo, this still shot from the trailer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of information there, clearly more than just what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Let's start with. Corvus Lestrange. So he is the the focal point of the the top part of this imagery. And if you look at how it breaks down, it's clear that uh, he's had relationships with two different women. Ooh. The first one being Lorena Kama. Now that last name should sound familiar because there's another character that has been cast in the series, which we also mentioned on either Yusuf, your buddy Yusuf. Yeah, 359, 360. When I said the name Yusuf, everybody said, who? What? Ooh, well, what? at least no, not everybody. Andrew said that. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about him coming up. Uh, could that be Lorena's brother, perhaps? Yeah. So uh, Lorena, comma, same last name as Yusuf, comma. Yusuf could be that would make Yusuf Lita Lestrange's uncle. Correct. Ah, and okay. uh, you just got to the next point there that Corvus and Lorena had a daughter, Lita Lestrange. Yeah, uh, but Corvus also had another child, Credence, Barebone, um, but with a woman named Clarice Tremblay, which sounds very French. Oh yeah, as as huh. really is Lestrange if you think about it. It's Lestrange, right? It's Lestrange. So yeah. could the Lestrange family have deep roots in in Paris, in France? I wonder. I've never thought of um, traveling to a geographic location to search out, you know, a fictional character. Bellatrix is essentially um, ancestors before, because uh, anything anything we learn about Lita. And any of the Lestrange family, well, I guess through marriage, never mind. Bellatrix is a black, um, but uh, the Lestrange family, anyway, um, everything we find out about them does pertain to characters that we know in Harry Potter canon. So it's kind of cool to do this sort of digging um, into past family trees and pureblood stuff because it does immediately affect, or it does ultimately affect present day Harry Potter stuff, right? And the fact that Credence is a Lestrange, his name is actually listed there. It's a little bit tough to make out. And when I say his name, his Lestrange name is is on the wall. Below it oh. is Credence Barebone. But it, it almost looks like Corvus. So I wonder if he's Corvus Lestrange Jr. or uh, – Something along those lines. Yeah, gosh, it would be crazy if Credence. Uh, I always thought that Credence was like a, a single hour long conversation from Newt away from the good side forever. It would be interesting if, upon learning his history, that Credence embraces the dark even more, um, and especially with his close friendship with the Maledictus that we all suspect to be Nagini. 
um, you know, who ends up. That's your favorite theory going into the series. It's my least favorite, favorite theory. Yeah. Um, going on at the moment, but, but if, if Credence really finds out that he's Corvus Lestrange Jr. or, or anything and decides to embrace it, that's huge. And it, it spells ultimate doom for anyone who's goes up against an Obscurus. I mean, fortunately, I'm so glad Nicholas Fomel is in this movie, both to protect Jacob, whose skull is susceptible from damage, who somehow has managed to come on this wizarding adventure without a wand and the ability to protect himself, but also for Newton, our heroes. If Credence turns bad, they're all going to need some of the uh, elixir of life, I think, just to make it out of here alive. Mm. That is a, that's a very fair point. Uh, So what do you think it, is going to mean that that Lita and Credence are half siblings. It's clearly going to be a focal point of this film and moving forward. And and I think it's going to test loyalties. I wonder. Yeah, I, I definitely the loyalty that we've seen used as an example um, in Harry Potter is the blood loyalty. Although I will say that both Sirius and Regulus Black, as an example, like. They were in different houses. They were blood. They didn't get along their entire lives. It ends up that, you know, Regulus did in the end do the right thing, just like his brother. But they were presumably some of the only good um, members of the Black family that wouldn't have supported Voldemort or people like Grindelwald. So when you talk about what's it going to matter, you know, the, and the loyalties with blood, we don't know exactly where Lita stands. I was never a fan of the theory that Lita is like dark or necessarily even in Slytherin. I thought it would be cool if both she and Newt were kind of outcasts at school. Maybe they were both in Hufflepuff. I mean, can you imagine a Lestrange in Hufflepuff? Come on. <laughs> it's almost unprecedented. So I kind of like that idea that Leto wasn't evil, but if Credence is related to Leto and he is going to be questioning his loyalties and Leto is evil, I think he'd quicker jump on that route you know, kind of go where his sister is going. But then again, some, you know, another voice in my head says, Lita is married to Newt's brother. She can't be evil because, you know, Newt's brother is in charge of catching Grindelwald. And this is a whole mess. So I really don't know what to believe. If Lita betrays Theseus and Credence joins her, then we're going to have a whole heck of a lot of bad guys to defeat in excess of Grindelwald, I think. Uh, you know, we haven't really ruled out whether or not Theseus could still bite it in this movie. Um, so I'm really, really worried now that these characters are all related. It's just going to give them an additional motivation to stick together that's stronger than your tie of, like, reasoning. Certainly. You know, in the first film, yeah, go on. Loyalties are tested. That's something that we hear... In the plot. ...come up uh, in the plot description, exactly. And for Credence, think about the fact that he's always wanted to fit in and he's always wanted to feel normal. What better way than to have this magical family open their arms, welcome you? So I'd be very wary of that. However, it's certainly possible that Lita is on the side of good. The Lestrange family carries a certain taboo with it. So that just was be- mentioned in Fantastic Beasts. That was by Queenie, and and just because that is the case, though, doesn't mean that that Lita necessarily needs to be evil. Other members of her family certainly could be, and that could cause rifts. Right, that could test loyalties amongst the Lestrange family. 
I'm trying to guess is like as a writer, you have certain reasons for doing things. And I, I was highly skeptical in the last episode about why everyone needs to be related. Like this essentially means that Newt is related to Credence too through marriage um, because his brother Theseus is married to Leda, who's Credence's half-sister. So for me, thinking that Credence is a day away or an hour-long conversation away from being turned good forever, thinking plot-wise, the only thing that would prevent Credence from turning good, because Newt already has reasoned with him quite well in the first film. Uh, I really feel like there was a connection there. I really feel like Newt being the only one who knows how to save the Obscurus, right? To like nearly, to, he got to a point where he nearly saved the host when he got the Obscurus out of the, the girl in, 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 was it Sedan? Um, so I feel like Newt and Credence already have this connection. There's no need plot wise to bring in a, a family connection that's going to cause him to want to turn good. I feel like what, what I'm trying to say is I feel like it almost means that Lita has to be evil. Mm. Like Lita has to be that, that dark influence who is going to turn Credence because I feel like if he's welcomed into a, a magical family, as you say, you know whose family that's going to be? It's going to be Newt's. It's going to be Theseus and Lita and Newt, the brother-in-law, you know, who's crazy gallivanting around the world all the time. It's a happy, presumably good, you know, positive family. So speaking of he, family, though, yeah, go on. Let's talk about Yusuf here for a minute. Yeah. Said earlier, it's likely that he would be Lita's uncle, uh, based on the relationship to Lorena, comma. Mm -hmm. That would also make him Credence's uncle. Hey. So there was a little bit of uh, photoshopping done here by <laughs> on Twitter. At Muggle VHP tie, and I got to give him credit. I I have bought into this hook, line, and sinker so far. <laughs> they do a a split screen a shot of Yusuf uh, on the right hand side at Circus Arcanus with the black top hat and the long trench coat, and then on the left side of the screen is the mystery man standing in front of the wall. And what is he wearing but a black top hat and a long trench coat? Could Yusuf be trying to figure out who his family is and, and learning all about Credence? And I don't know what honestly what's going on here, but it's very possible that this could be one and the same person. I have to agree. I think the hat looks very similar and I still really want to know where that is occurring, where the, the family tree is up on a wall. I mean, one of the prevailing theories I heard, I think I mentioned on the show last week from one of our patrons was that um, he's in Grindelwald's cell, um, you know, and if Grindelwald is tracking or trying to find Credence's family based on his search for Credence in the first film uh, as Graves, I think that it makes sense he'd have this information in his cell, but what is Yusuf's position, um, you know, in tracking this all down and, and what's his motivation? What's his interest? And if he is, you know, an uncle looking for either his whole family or his nephew, you know, it seems like it would make sense that he's there looking at that family tree. Absolutely. And I, and I think it just raises more questions. It doesn't really give us any answers. Yeah. Yeah. This is crazy. Uh, Personally, I do like the idea of 
this being Grindelwald's cell, I know we threw out the idea, oh, it's just in the sewer somewhere beneath the streets yeah. of London or Paris. But being inside of the place where Grindelwald has, has spent the better part of a few months uh, since he's been locked up, I think that uh, certainly that would be very, very interesting to have him having sketched out all of this information on the wall. No, another uh, several people thought that that was Dumbledore looking at the wall, and it very well could be. These trailers can be massively deceptive in terms of how they put different pieces of information together. But the more I do look at it, the more I do think that it does look like uh, use of comma. I could see both sides. I do not know. I really don't. Okay. Uh, let, let's do a little bit of, of fact checking here, going back sure. to the last two episodes that we did, because a number of different uh, topics came up that just wanted to clear up. Uh, we did talk about who was Minister for Magic back in during this time period, because uh, we touched on the character of Travers showing up mm. at uh, Hogwarts to come face to face with Dumbledore. And there's several other people that are there in the background. Uh, Hector Foley is the minister for magic at this time. He served from 1925 to 1939. So actually he's just sort of started his, his term as minister. And yeah. uh, this comes from Pottermore. The description uh, says undoubtedly voted in because of his marked difference to McLaird. The ebullient and flamboyant Foley did not take sufficiently seriously the threat presented to the world wizarding community by Gellert Grindelwald. He paid with oh. his job. So, so is th that's his predecessor or that's him? That's Foley, right? Yeah. So Foley paid with his job, oh. I believe, and, and maybe he becomes uh, relevant to the story as we move through the series because he uh, is – removed from office one way or the other in 1939. Right. That is just prior to what we would anticipate to be the battle between Dumbledore Oh, it's and six Grindelwald. years. Yeah, it's, but uh, yeah, it's close that, enough. Well, that, no, I mean, that definitely happens in 1945. So you're right. I mean, come, we're still in 1928, I want to say, which is the year that Serafina Pickery is removed from office in some form or fashion. We have no idea, thanks, Lego, how that happens. Um, but, you know, getting another guy with dates here, Hector Foley, who's not going to make it the full length of 45, I could easily see Grindelwald killing him. Yep. Um, I mean, he could be removed as Minister for Magic and Grindelwald still didn't like you know, the way that he does business and kills the former minister for magic as like a um, terrorist act. I could absolutely see that. So, you know, unfortunately that the minister for magic, for me, it's going to repeat sort of what fudge was to Harry Potter in my mind. Like, I think that see, seeing as how this uh, biography of him describes him as not taking the threat seriously enough of, Grindelwald, that, that very much has echoes of Fudge not taking the threat of Voldemort seriously, not believing, actively putting obstacles in Harry and Dumbledore's way to prevent them from getting the truth out. I mean, he's a, Fudge was a pretty big roadblock, and it's upsetting to me that we're going to have to deal with another government type, another politician type, who seems to be very, very, very similar, at least on paper, um, in terms of the grander scale of, of plot development. Yeah. 
I, I was just thinking this is fudge all over again mm. uh, in, in just in, in a very well, different time was, period. Fudge was folly all over again. There you go. Oh, there you have it. Yeah. So uh, yeah. another uh, bit of information uh, that we got from Pranvi Singh over on Twitter uh, they said that I think the Dumbledore, the, the, Dumbledore, the DADA professor <laughs> during Fantastic Beasts 2 was uh, Professor Mary Thought, which is mentioned in Chapter 17 of Half-Blood Prince. And the headmaster is Armando Dippet. Uh, you were discussing this in the latest episode, by the way, of your podcast, even though I've only been with you guys since episode 300. And so did a little bit of digging on Professor Galatia Mary Thought. Uh, she was a witch and professor of defense against the dark arts uh, from around 1895 through 1945. Whoa. Holding the position for nearly 50 years. Uh, she worked alongside Albus Dumbledore and Horace Slughorn, her former students, but eventually retired. So she would be the DADA professor uh, at this time and Dippet would be the headmaster. You know... I am not, I'm still not sold on Dippet. Um, according to uh, Wikia, which I hate that I'm referencing, it's just the first Google search. Professor Armando Dippet was born in 1637. He's over 360 years old at the time of his death, oddly enough, in 1992, which is the same year of Chamber of Secrets. So that's weird. But um, it doesn't say that when he became headmaster of Hogwarts, the guess on HP Wikia is in the 1940s. And we, we only know that he was headmaster in 40s uh, because of the events of Chamber of Secrets. You know, Armando Dippet is the headmaster during the period of time when young Tom Riddle opens the Chamber of Secrets in uh, 1942. But we don't know that he'll be the headmaster in 1927. We just don't know when he starts. I don't think that part is confirmed on Pottermore or anywhere else at the moment. Um, is there so, a Wikia on Armando Dippet? Yeah. It says uh, he became headmaster in the early 20th century? Question mm. mark. Where is this from? <laughs> Tales of Beetle <laughs> All right. Bar. So still some All questions right, I'm going out on a there. Deep dive. Yeah. Uh, we'll try and, and lock that down. But um, interesting that we have a DADA professor who has held the position for more than 365 days yeah, or is. less. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, before the job is cursed, um, which I, I love about this is it's a chance to get back to Hogwarts first before Tom Riddle goes there. And then during Tom Riddle going there, we have some very prominent students that we know about that we will potentially see in these films. Hagrid and young Voldemort. Uh, are just two of them. Mm -hmm. But they will both be students within the time frame of these films, um, yeah. giving Newt perfect opportunity to give Aragog to Hagrid. <laughs> Certainly. Or Fox uh, to Dumbledore. Right. And uh, there are other characters I think we could probably throw in there as well. Uh, Slughorn was a teacher of Tom Riddle's as well. Yep. As others. So we could go on and on there. But uh, I know you have uh, a segment we we've done versions of in the past and, and this is before we get on to some responses that we got, some questions we got over on Patreon and on Twitter. Uh, take us through what JK Rowling says, Eric. Well, do you want to, since it is related, do you want to go through Patreon first? Oh, well, Twitter is too. So, I mean, either way we can. Oh, okay. 
Um, just yeah, just yeah. do it to break it up a little bit, and then we can come back. Okay, yeah, we'll take a brief break from Crimes of Grindelwald speculation. Um, J.K. Rowling just had an active week on Twitter um, where she said a bunch of stuff that wasn't just political stuff for once, which is nice. Um, but we got an update uh, just running through these fairly quickly. We got an update on Lethal White, which is the fourth Cormoran strike book. Uh, she stated that that is – she said, I'm very close to finishing – the fourth in the series. She actually wrote the day that the trailer came out. So last Tuesday, she wrote something very funny about um, getting tied up uh, in, in writing this, the book of lethal white while seeing the new trailer. She says um, the murderer is being unmasked right now in hashtag lethal white. But I stopped to watch the hashtag Fantastic Beasts trailer, had a sudden idea for the third script, meaning Fantastic Beasts 3, wrote it down, went sprinting back to Strike and Robin, and now my brain is turned into Clue Beast Wizard Murder Weapony Soup. Need tea. Period. This is what happens when you double the Twitter character count, by the way. <laughs> I was like, when, yeah, when is this going to stop? Wizard, like, murder, this, is, this is 140 characters. And then I'm like, no, no, I forgot. Now it's 280. I love it. So this is this is the struggle that J.K. Rowling's facing, writing a book while the, having it on her to write the third script, coming up with ideas simultaneously and dancing. Before. I, I actually feel bad for Strike and Robin, right? Because the first two books at least were developed in a time when J.K. Rowling wasn't working on these other projects. Um, that said, I've heard that the the third book, which is the only one I haven't read that's out, is the best so far. And fans of the Cormoran Strike series really do think that it's picking up and and they love you know the characters and their relationship very, very well. So I am excited for Strike 4, but it's just so funny to see J.K. Rowling struggling with the script and the idea that seeing the trailer that we are all talking about somehow gave her an idea for the next film. That doesn't, that almost doesn't make sense to me because she wrote the screenplay for movie two and was there when it was made. And now is seeing something in movie two that she's like, Oh, that's an interesting idea. I'll incorporate that in movie three. Hmm. So I have no idea. Um, maybe the trailer got something right, Micah, maybe the Yusuf standing in the, uh, the, the family tree room, uh, you know, deceptively when it's not really him or is not really what he's looking at, gave her an idea to create a scene where it is. You never know. You never know. Um, and then there was just this last, well, uh, actually a couple more things, some, some heartwarming ness here for you. Somebody tweeted JK Rowling and said that they gave their copy of Sorcerer's Stone to their 85 year old grandmother. Um, somebody named Rachel, our granny on Twitter. Uh, I bought my grand, I bought my 85 year old grandmother, the Sorcerer's Stone for Christmas. Looks like it's time to buy book two, dot, dot, dot. Her grandmother, who's 85, by the way, sent a text message, pretty good grammar, including double spacing after all punctuation. Can you imagine that? They say, and the grandmother wrote, hi, Rachel, I just finished reading Harry Potter. As sick as I was, I couldn't put the book down. I enjoyed it from beginning to end. On to another book. Hope you are well. Mm -hmm. I mean, how sweet is that? J.K. Rowling, of course, sees this and replies uh, with a heart on, mm -hmm. on Twitter. It's just single heart emoji. People of all ages still getting into the uh, the Potter series. And, you know, 
Speaking of grandmothers, uh, I'm I'm sure you've seen this story, Eric, because you live out in Chicago. But Sister Jean uh, from Loyola, Chicago, in the NCAA tournament, the the men's team just uh, is continuing their upset bid. They they've gone as they say from sweet to elite. They they've beaten Whoa. they've beaten Nevada tonight, and they've advanced to the elite eight. But this school has a chaplain named Sister Jean. And uh, she's 98 years old, and she, she's rocking the the Gryffindor scarf. And uh, we actually tweeted this out uh, last week, or earlier this week. And uh, all the uh, the fans from the school have it too. I'm assuming it aligns with their school colors. But I just thought yeah. it was very interesting <laughs> to uh, to see this. Uh, and uh, you know, we we mentioned that we like her look, so. Uh, Oh. Congrats to them on on advancing uh, to to the Elite Eight. Uh, just one game away from the Final Four for them, and and that'll probably be set by the time uh, we release this episode. But I just thought, as you were mentioning uh, this person's grandmother, that uh, we should touch on that as well. Well, uh, Andrew and I can both. We'll go out to whenever the final, if Loyola makes it, uh, we'll be able to go somewhere in Chicago and watch that on a big screen somewhere. So. Uh, keep us posted on the sports. I will. I will. Because sure. otherwise, Lord knows, we will not know that that has happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, keeping in 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 line with the the heartwarmingness, um, I mentioned Joe was very active on Twitter. She was responding to a lot of the love and affection that people regularly give her. Uh, somebody named Sally Burns uh, tweeted, dragging myself through another bout of severe depression and reading the Harry Potter series to strengthen my Patronus. A million thanks to at JK Rowling for the magical escape that's always there when it's needed. Heart emoji and JK Rowling quoted the tweet and replied, those stories saved their author too. Nothing makes me happier than to think that they went out into the world to do the same for other people. Keep that Patronus powerful. Three star emoji. So just a really heartwarming uh, kind of reply, but we've known through reports and interviews that J.K. Rowling herself struggled as a single mother with depression and poverty while writing Harry Potter. And just the idea that J.K. Rowling would acknowledge, you know, not only that, but that it's that she's relieved that it's helped others in the same way is is mm-hmm. really remarkable. So just a very human interaction from jk rowling to a fan yeah absolutely and and you know it, it's an escape at the end of the day it allows us to get away to go somewhere else and and to you know expand our mind a little bit and get away from whatever may be troubling us so i think i think it did that for a lot of us as we read the series uh you know we all Definitely. enjoy it for different reasons but uh certainly uh, a very nice tweet there from from jk rowling do you know the uh, Christopher Guest movie, uh, This Is Spinal Tap? No. Oh, really? I know Spinal oh, Tap. I, I don't know the movie, though. Oh, okay. Well, Spinal Tap, I mean, I'm actually, to be honest, I'm uncertain which came first because I know that the actors, Michael McKean and and others, have performed as Spinal Tap. But the the movie, which debuted as a as a mockumentary, like a fake documentary on a fake band this is spinal tap was apparently the inspiration for what we mentioned earlier on this podcast of the defense against the dark arts position being cursed jk rowling also said this within the last seven days on twitter somebody posted uh somebody else had the scoop actually and she confirmed it 
Uh, let me see here who it was. Uh, quite interesting at Quikipedia, QIkipedia on Twitter said, according to J.K. Rowling, so I guess sourced elsewhere, the curse of the Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers was inspired by the Spinal Tap drummers regularly dying in bizarre circumstances. Um, so I am sure that there, although it's been a while since I've seen this is Spinal Tap, that there is a um, because it's a, a fake documentary of a fake band that there's probably a running joke where it's so hard to keep a drummer and this movie which came out in 1984 is renowned the world over it's actually got an eight star rating on imdb um was the inspiration for jk rowling for voldemort cursing the defense against the dark arts job and her having to get a new teacher each year Hmm. so inspiration comes from the strangest of places sometimes yeah, absolutely. I think that's fair it's to say. Good, funny, uh, funny joke. So final, absolute final on J.K. Rowling says is what I find to be the most interesting uh, tweet from her uh, in in the last week. Somebody asked her, Tyler Follow at Prodigo FDN, Tyler Star. J.K. Rowling, do you think Newt Scamander and Kenilworthy Wisp, who, by the way, is the author of Quidditch Through the Ages, are friends? And if so, do they sit around making vegetarian dishes for each other? She replied, <laughs> "What? no. Yeah, I don't know where that second part comes from. I like the idea that, you know, these are the two Hogwarts school books that came out in 2001 for comic relief. And somebody, I can't believe if this is the first time somebody's asked her, do they know each other? Are they friends? Do they like each other? What's going on here? She replies... No, I don't think Newt and Kenilworthy would be friends at all. Uh, Very, emphasized, very, different kinds of people, parenthesis, and Kenilworthy would definitely eat steak. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, where did the uh, vegetarian vegetarian, piece come in here? I I don't don't know. Anyway, this is is huge because I, 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 like some other Harry Potter fans, I'm sure – I am waiting for the Quidditch Through the Ages movie starring Andrew Lincoln to be released, um, which will reveal the backstory of Kenilworthy Wisp uh, and his uh, many, you know, acclaims that he's gotten through his his history as uh, a team member of Quidditch. But this idea that they would be friends, being contemporary authors, or even that Kenilworthy could show up and just be like that rival author, like uh, Mondo Burger and Good Burger in uh, Good Burger. You know, something like that in these films is kind of a ridiculous concept. But I love that somebody just flat out asked her on Twitter, would they be friends? And she's like, no, hmm. <laughs> they they wouldn't like each other at all. Not because they're any of them is are bad. She just said they're very different kinds of people. Well, look, so, I mean, one is a movie star and the other uh, produces yeah. audiobooks. And, and actually the uh, Newt does both. So Kenilworthy yeah. needs to uh, – get going here with uh with his career do a little bit more than just uh voicing and writing uh quidditch to the ages you know that's brand new that happened in the last five days too um it's worth mentioning quidditch through the ages is now an audiobook and it's narrated by andrew lincoln who is uh foremost known as frank grimes from the walking dead and uh who we also know or or anglophiles will know was the guy in love actually who had a crush on Kira knightley um so I know we mentioned that was coming out, but FYI, it's out, and Audible has it, and it's also on Amazon. I'm sure it's on Pottermore, too, isn't it? Uh, yeah, probably. I don't go there for my audiobooks, <laughs> but I 
should probably do that um but anyway so that this concludes jk rowling says as i said like that was a long segment but you know what she's been active so there you go there you go uh we also uh heard from our patrons as related to the recent crimes of grindelwald trailer and uh some questions in here some comments Mm -hmm. so let's start with melissa fitterer who asked a question do you think dumbledore's comment about newt not following directions means newt really isn't supposed to be in Paris? <laughs> uh, I think he's absolutely supposed to be in Paris. I think that Dumbledore absolutely 100% sent him there. He just has to say that he didn't. Yeah. Uh, and look, we see him putting together a what appears to be invitation or postcard from Paris. Not sure if he was the one who initiated tearing it apart. Right. But clearly that is also tied to him going to Paris. Now, one question that I had, and it may relate here to uh, something that Heidi said over on Patreon, do you think the dance Lita is at is her wedding or engagement party in Paris? Could that invite, that postcard, could it be to Theseus and Lita's wedding or engagement party? And Newt just tore it up in a fit of fury. A fit of rage? Because <laughs> Maybe. I I don't know. What we know of Theseus Scamander comes from an Lego. apocrypha of early drafts <laughs> and other like making of books. But Theseus Scamander was the man who was supposed to be catching Grindelwald. It just turned out that Newt bumps into him in New York and captures him, happens to have the right combination of swooping evil and Expelliarmus. But Theseus was the one appointed by the Ministry of Magic as an Auror to go and get Grindelwald. It was a very prestigious goal, very prestigious task. You know, I don't know. I think wedding is kind of too soon. If, if it's only been a couple months since Grindelwald was apprehended and, you know, it's kind of too too soon for celebration in a way like the the man who's supposed to have caught him it's like oh okay my job is done i can go get married now i don't know it seems quick to me yeah it it just uh just throwing that theory out there uh speaking of grindelwald though uh andy iskander said the scene where grindelwald is standing before an audience i initially thought it looked sort of like a trial of peers Maybe this is where the crimes of Grindelwald are put forth before the public. I know you guys talked about how it could be him speaking to his followers. So I'm curious as to which is it? I love that idea that the crimes of Grindelwald are being laid out in that scene. Uh, I'm worried whether or not he looks handcuffed or restrained in some way. I feel like we determined that the woman next to him is... uh, Rosier, yep. um, you know, which is potentially one of his followers. And I think it it spells certain doom for anybody who's in that room that isn't a supporter of his. But I like the idea that it would be because it does sort of look like a courtroom or like um, one of the rooms underneath the the British Ministry of Magic to that. It would be sort of like a some sort of courthouse or, or process ceremony procedure. Mm-hmm. Or something. Certainly possible. The Like I said earlier, these trailers are always so deceiving in terms of what you think you see. Yeah, they absolutely are. Uh, I mean, yes, a lot of times what you see is what you get, but also 
based on sequencing and how quickly scenes go by and, and you know, all those different pieces, you never know what's going on. Also, uh, as it relates to Lita Lestrange, uh, Serena Knight asked, what role does she have in all of this? Is she a casual observer to the unfolding events or does she pick a side? Is she going to further break the Slytherin equal evil rhetoric? Do we even know if she was sorted into Slytherin? Eric, you asked this earlier. Uh, I wonder how much her engagement with Theseus will affect her decisions in this matter. I really think that Lita will be the person to watch as the series goes on, but maybe that's just me. If Newt and and Lita were romantically involved, which I think that's a big if, because they don't have to be. If they were previously romantically involved, I would say the stakes are probably higher for her being um, a growing villain. Or, you know, because I, I don't know how much strife J.K. Rowling is going to throw into the Newt and Tina relationship. They're, they barely know one another, but it was very clear that they like each other and we know that they do end up together. You know, I, I see Lita as much more than just a romantic rival to Tina. I see her as more like a a villain or, or an equal, maybe a, a close confidant of Newt's. So we don't know, I think, as far as I'm aware, whether she was in Slytherin or not. Like I said, I, I think it'd be even cooler if she wasn't um, to break that mold. But either way, J.K. Rowling goes, if she's a good guy, it's good for for diversity, presenting not all Slytherins as evil or, you know, if she's not a Slytherin, great. Um, but I, I really think that she could be a spy and much in the way that Graves infiltrated the U.S. ministry or, or Makusa, was it? Yeah. Um, Lita could be engaged to Theseus as a, a form of espionage because he's the man who was supposed to track Grindelwald. So I, I just don't think it spells good things for Lita um, and her loyalties, but I have absolutely zero clue. Yeah, definitely a lot to uh, to figure out as we move on related to her since she was just a very brief mention in the first film, but clearly playing a much more integral role. People have said it even looked like she was one of the individuals who apparated uh, onto Hogwarts grounds uh, at the beginning of the trailer. So who knows uh, even what her profession is at this point? Does she also work for the ministry? All we know is that she still holds a place in Newt's heart enough for Queenie to Mm. pry and make him visibly uncomfortable. Not that that takes a lot, but. Right. So, uh, I know on the the last episode, we talked a little bit about the new Wizarding World logo. Uh, there were differences of opinion. Uh, and uh, I asked the question, people listening to let me know if I was the only one who felt not as positive as, as the two of you did. Uh, and Kimberly Waltman said, uh, I'm with Micah. The new logo is underwhelming. The font makes me think of fishing hooks. <laughs> I don't know if I went that far. Uh, Fishing hooks. I, yeah, with dried worm I, I will guts say on this, them. though. I, d- I did get a number of people who tweeted at me as well uh, talking about the logo and, and agreeing with some of what I said. I think it, I was a little bit harsh uh, in, in my it reaction late. to it. it. It was late at night, to be fair, although it is late right now as well. Uh, but <laughs> clearer in mind right now than, than I had last week. We had just done an entire episode of trailer analysis prior to recording the one that we talked about the, the logo on, Mm -hmm. which was still 45 minutes of trailer. Yeah. Look, the logo itself, I do like the look of it. 
the the open book feel with the wands being different pages. I think that's very cool. Uh, I'm just just not understanding the larger picture. I know Andrew wrote a great article over on Hypable. You did a really great job explaining uh, sort of the the removal of J.K. Rowling from from the Wizarding right. World. Um, and, and what that means for the future. Uh, I, I just, I'm kind of indifferent to it. Um, and you know, it, it, it doesn't really strike me in any way. And, and I think that's fair to say, and, you know, we'll see how it continues to be incorporated into different things moving forward. I saw it's on that, uh, that script book for the crimes of Grindelwald. So (laughs) they're wasting no time in, in getting out new material that has this, uh, this logo on it. Oh man, I gotta, I missed that. I'm going to go look at it, but yeah, it's just going to be, it's just, it's only supposed to be a little watermark thing and just a little seal to let you know that it's, it's not, it's not supposed to be prominent. We, in speaking about it on our podcast for 30 odd minutes last week, we rose it to more prominence than it, in terms of front of mind than we ever necessarily are going to see again or, or otherwise ordinarily would have received. It's just the new official brand sort of thing. And you're right. It is in the clouds. It's down there in the lower left. So seeing that and scholastic is all you'll ever need in the future to guess whether or not something is an official Potter product Mm -hmm. or wizarding world product, I guess. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to uh, some responses we got over on Twitter. Yep. Uh, We heard from kale IDLT. I think you mentioned this, earlier when we were having the discussion about uh, where that wall was and and who that individual was that was standing in front of that wall. Uh, He said, the scene in the trailer where Dumbledore is looking at the writing on the wall, what looks like a dungeon, I think he's inspecting the prison cell of Grindelwald after he has escaped and maybe used the spell Revilio uh, to find the writing. Yeah, I think that that's definitely uh, a possibility. Revilio seems to be a uh, very popular spell to use on Grindelwald, and and <laughs> he's he just as Voldemort was uh, thwarted by Expelliarmus, <laughs> Revilio is really going to be the one that just gets Grindelwald every time. Yeah. Uh, Deborah tweeted at us to say at Silverdoe twenty five, R E the put outer, Deathly Hallows says it's Dumbledore's design and possibly a unique item, so. There was a bit of discussion about who was using the put outer. Well, if it's Dumbledore's design, I would venture a guess that it probably was Dumbledore. Uh, he could have given it to anybody, though, for a mission, you know, the way that. Uh, yeah, I, it's I, interesting I, I, that I, you bring that up, though. I went back and I took a look at the trailer. There are yeah. actually two people what? in that scene. So it could be we Dumbledore a... plus one. Oh my gosh. Well, I need the 4K version of this trailer immediately because yeah. if you look missed... as the lights are being put out, or I think it's also called the Deluminator, there are two people, one that go to either side of sort of the um the structure that's there. It's 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 I don't know what to call it. It's it's like Foggy a it's and... a wall, yeah. It's it's tough to see. So uh but it, Go back and take a look. You'll see that there are, in fact, uh, two people in that scene. Unbelievable. My mind is blown. Uh, Anders Drew, the classroom we were discussing as being the DADA classroom could have been the Transfiguration classroom back then. Maybe it became the DADA classroom after Dumbledore left to be headmaster. Snape kept his office in the dungeon when he taught Defense Against the Dark Arts. 
things change over time. That's true, Anders Drew. However, Pottermore, yeah. uh, that veritable source of uh, true information, identified the classroom as the Defense Against the Dark Arts cl- classroom. True. So um, maybe I think we'll get an answer there. Or as we discuss, yeah. it's just a familiar place for people to make a connection with. I think it makes sense that it was the Transfiguration Room back then. Maybe Pottermore was just referring to it as how we know it currently. Um, it certainly makes sense that classrooms would be reused for different purposes as suit their users. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, I'm all for that. Uh, but do love all the fact-checking that's going on. Uh, I know we did a bit earlier. Yeah, and this is good stuff. The last tweet uh, comes from Richard Cody Nichols, who said, uh, in your latest episode on the Fantastic Beats 2 trailer, uh, when discussing the people apparating, you mentioned that maybe Dumbledore was the one who put the anti-apparition spell on Hogwarts. I wanted to let you know that those enchantments have always been there. J.K. Rowling confirmed that the enchantments have always been there on her Pottermore entry for the Hogwarts Express and the history behind it. It's mentioned when it was going into the history of how kids used to get to the school before the train was introduced. However, we have seen in the series that the charm can be adjusted. It could probably be the headmaster adjusting the already placed enchantment. So. Huh. Yeah. Uh, I think that um, that much is in line with what we've already speculated uh, that the headmaster has the power to adjust. Given that this was an official delegation, presumably from the Ministry of Magic, all they needed was a little bit of advance notice and they would be able to get in because the charm would be removed. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is super good, like you say, fact-checking. Great research uh, by Richard's part for finding that excerpt in the Hogwarts Express um, backstory. Yeah, I thought that was uh, a lot of good information that uh, we can uh, learn from a bit. So prior to the Hogwarts Express, kids got to Hogwarts, it sounds like, by operating there. So That doesn't really work for 11-year-olds, though. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, uh, we'll, well, take, we'll take Richard at his word. Probably or or maybe powder. there are other ways that they got there. And, yeah. and apparating was discussed and, and and it was said that you couldn't apparate onto the grounds of Hogwarts. So if that's always been the case, then clearly not something Dumbledore introduced, but certainly something as headmaster that Dumbledore could control. So if it's Dippet, let's just say it's Dippet for the time being, who's yeah, the headmaster, yeah. he clearly allowed these uh, members of the ministry to be able to apparate onto the grounds to get uh, get to the school. I followed the trail of breadcrumbs, by the way, and the, the dip it thing. I think the answer lies somewhere within Tales of Beetle the Bard. I have no way of knowing why that would be in there, but the wiki source was for the Tales of Beetle the Bard. So if anyone wants to see if Dippet shows up in Tales of Beetle the Bard, let us know. Mm. He's actually the hopping pot. <laughs> All right. Um, let's do a, a little bit of Quizich here. There, I said it for you, Eric, because I think every time you do, you say Quidditch. Uh, yeah, well, I'm just here we go. I'm giving you a hard time. Quizich, um, we have, uh, last week's question, which was name the three wizarding publications known to have published Dumbledore's academic papers. And we heard from Hedel Babla, uh, on Twitter, who two days ago said, Hey guys, just heard the podcast. Loved it. The answer to Quizich question is the practical potioner. 
sorry, practical potion here. Achievements in charming and transfiguration today. And uh, believe it or not, Hedo Babla was the only person who submitted uh, an answer that I can find that is correct. So congratulations to being this week's only Quizich winner. Um, that's super, super cool. I don't think that's ever happened before. Clearly so. you asked a very difficult difficult question or it may just be that people have not had enough time between episodes uh to answer uh, your quizich question i think that's maybe over is. the next couple of days between now and when the episode airs well anyway heddle got it in two days ago so very nice work um and speaking of these questions both last week's and this coming week's um were sourced for me by uh, one of our listeners andrew v um, who messaged in on Facebook. He's like, do you need some help with Quizzage? Because you keep struggling to find good questions. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. So he had with him the issue of Newsweek that was done recently with Harry Potter on the cover. Um, and actually, it's super funny because in uh, an all-time uh, bout of recycling, MuggleNet actually provided some trivia questions to Newsweek for that article, and I am now using the trivia questions that Andrew sent me from the Newsweek article that MuggleNet sent him. So basically, this trivia comes from MuggleNet by way of Andrew V, by way of Newsweek for Quizich. Super, super sort of funny there. But uh, next week's question is easier. It is a three-parter, though, still, because I like those. Um, in Chamber of Secrets... What three nonsense spells does Harry aim at the bush before Dudley calls for his mother? This is during the chapter, The Worst Birthday, mm. as a hint. I think really I read that more. chapter. Yeah, I think you did. Uh, and when I say those... that, it's not like it. <laughs> I, should, I guess I should be more specific. <laughs> Congratulations, Micah. You've read a chapter. I would hope of... you've read all the chapters in the Harry Potter series, Micah. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, that about does it for for this week's episode. Uh, we have a lot to look forward to next week. Uh, we're doing a uh, a fun interview with a few members from the Harry Potter film concert series. Mm -hmm. We got a chance to uh, see what they're all about uh, when I was down in Orlando uh, for celebration of Harry Potter. Uh, the the Orlando Philharmonic uh, did a performance of, of some of these uh, songs that you can see in the concert series. So uh, we're looking forward to uh, speaking with uh, Justin Freer and Brady Bobian. Hopefully that's how you say his name. I will check. We'll with find him. out next week. Yeah, I'm going to check with him <laughs> next week. Uh, but we're definitely looking forward to uh, to speaking with them and learning a little bit more about the uh, the concert series. And I'm sure there'll be more on the crimes of Grindelwald front that will surface. Well, I think uh, that does it for this week's uh, episode. Thanks so much, uh, Eric, for joining me. Uh, this uh, dynamic duo, we were able to uh, hold down the fort. Yeah, I think we did it. Well, yeah, we did. We did uh, yeah. There are, of course, a number of ways that uh, you can get in touch with the show. Uh, you can send us a tweet uh, over on twitter.com slash MuggleCast. Uh, check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash MuggleCast. Uh, you can email us, MuggleCast at gmail.com. Or uh, you know, leave us a voicemail or text message. Uh, we did have a, a, a few of those that are sitting over in the inbox, so we will get to them in the coming episodes. Uh, just dial 920-3-MUGGLE. That's 920-368-4453. And uh, if you're in the mood to uh, send us some snail mail or uh, anything else for that matter, 
you can uh, hit us up at the P.O. Box at 4044 North Lincoln Avenue, P.O. Box number 144, Chicago, Illinois, 60618. And, of course, our website, MuggleCast.com, has all the latest and greatest information. And uh, one thing we wanted to mention before the show wraps up, uh, we are working to restore a number of our old episodes. Um, Eric, we've gotten a number of questions, right, as it relates to people wanting to listen to our older episodes that came out years and years ago at this point. Yeah, I am floored by how many people pass their time by listening to vintage, vintage MuggleCast. And uh, they've really come out of the woodwork since our player links stopped working uh, on the website. This is due to a server change. Uh, We are working to restore it. Basically, we are having to manually go and upload each episode of MuggleCast again based on backups that we have to a new server. So it's very time consuming. We do certainly apologize, but um, the first 176, I think it is, episodes are not playing. Well, one through three are fine because I did those earlier. Um, But uh, later episodes between four and 176, I think it is, won't play on the MuggleCast website. Uh, Somebody pointed out our RSS feed only starts at like 212. That's always going to be that case. We can't restore new episodes on old RSSs, but the MuggleCast website will always be your most reliable source of playing MuggleCast episodes. And you can also download through there. So um, just keep keep posted on the, the MuggleCast website on the episodes page. Um, click around and see what works and see what doesn't. But we are aware of the issue and it's just going to take some time for us to manually correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that'll be resolved in the not too distant future. Uh, but, uh, for the time being, just re-listen to the last couple of episodes over and over and over again. Yeah. We've done some good ones. Yeah. <laughs> or check out the wall of fame, uh, for, for those that start after 176, uh, you should, you should be safe. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, just, uh, one more quick plug for, uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash MuggleCast, uh, as stated at the top of the episode, we can't thank you enough uh, for your continued support of the show. Uh, it means a lot and uh, it keeps us going week to week. I want to thank Slug Club members Jonathan L. and Gretchen R., who were the winners of the February uh, patron giveaway. Um, their items have shipped. They won the uh, Mina Lima graphic art postcards that Andrew picked up uh, from the House of Mina Lima uh, recently. And uh, those items have shipped. And the March giveaway is actually going to be two audiobooks of Quidditch Through the Ages. So if you are a Slug Club member on Patreon, that's just one of the things you can look forward to. Awesome. So uh, I think that'll uh, that'll about do it. We'll see everyone next time for episode 362. Goodbye. Au revoir.